My message today is called, We Are the Body. Can you say that with me? We are the body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, says this, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Of all the ways that God could use to describe the, the believers, the followers of him, he uses the body of Christ as the analogy. There are significant points that are particular to this analogy that are essential in us being salt and light to the world so that the kingdom of God would advance. And the only way that the gospel can be spread all over the world is by the body working together, not against one another, but together with each member valuing one another and fulfilling their responsibilities. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 15. If the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? There are few things more divisive in the body than pride and ignorance. Pride and ignorance say that select parts of the body are more important than all the rest. And if this fallacy is repeated again and again, and if it gets traction with others, the devastating result is that others actually start to believe it. Just because the mouth is the loudest part of the body doesn't mean it's more worthy of honor and respect than every other part. And just because the face receives more attention doesn't mean it should have elite status over everyone else. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? Every function of the body is crucially important to its survival, its overall health, and its success of accomplishing its purpose. This is absolutely true in the body of Christ. As one example, as it relates to the church, we see the power of a church body in a worship service where we are today. Even though we realize that God has brought us very gifted people as part of our worship team, that God has brought them here to share their talents and their passion for music and singing, every single one of them will tell you that they greatly desire that your focus is on God when they sing and not on them. They are here to put the focus on God. And that's natural to think, oh, they're great, and that's, that's awesome. But the focus of being a worship team is to focus on God. The purpose of a worship team is not to draw attention to their sound or to their quality. Rather, a worship team's sole vision is to worship God and to bring people into the presence of God, where you can feel His presence and feel Him speaking to your heart. Psalm 1611 says this, In your presence, Lord, in your presence there is a fullness of joy. This verse is at the core of our worship team's belief and purpose. They absolutely believe that in God's presence, there's a fullness of joy. To just take a little time off, whatever you're carrying, the weight and the stress and the things on your agenda, just take that time off and just to focus on God. Today we sang a song just praising to His name, just focusing on God and just letting those things go for a moment. They absolutely believe that in God's presence there is a fullness of joy, that there is a promise of peace. 
That there's an assurance of salvation. There's a dissolution of stress. There's an infilling of strength and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a greater revelation of who God is to us. And because our team holds to these truths and biblical promises, they work incredibly hard every week for many hours so that they can lead you into the presence of God where we are all blessed each in different ways. There's also times when our team drops off the music and the instrumental support so that we can just sing a cappella. This is so powerful for all of us to hear as everyone is worshiping and praising God together because it's one of the most basic and clearest examples of the functioning together as a body. And there are other ways that our body grows together in worship. I know not everyone is comfortable doing this, but one of the most empowering and momentum-building experiences in corporate worship is when the congregation is moved in individual expressions during worship. When the words really resonate with you and you raise your hands, it's electrifying. I've told the story before, but I love it. I was in a church that where everyone was raising their hands. Not that you had to, but you could. It was free worship. And I was first got there, and I was very subco- you know, subconscious of what, what, what are people going to say if I lift my hands. And, and God, I felt God saying, just close your eyes. And I, God gave me this vision in my head, and he said, I want you to raise your hands for the first time. But when you do, it's going to be like an outlet switch and plug in the wall. And as soon as you do, you're going to tap into power. So I pumped myself all up. I had my eyes closed, and there was a part of the song, and I just reached my hands up. And as soon as I did, somebody grabbed my hand. I think I wet myself. And I looked, and it was a friend of mine. He happened to be walking past, but I asked him later, I said, why did you grab my hand? He said, God told me to. But the whole point is that the surrender or the song does something. I'm worshiping God. I'm not doing it for anybody else. And if I can't block it out of my mind, then I'm just going to close my eyes. I do it a lot of time in worship. And, and it's, it's not about the raising the hands. It's, it's about getting closer to God, experiencing it in, in a way that, that, that's freeing to you. But when you do that, what happens whether you're rocking back and forth or whether you're clapping depending on the song or whether you're being moved, what it does is it kind of plays with the worship team and they, and they see you interacting with God and they see you getting closer to God and then they give more and then you give more and it's this back and forth. Is it not, worship team? It, it, it happens and, and it's what it, what it is that it models a body of Christ coming together. There's no right or wrong way to do it, but it's just it's this interaction a worship in church was never meant to be like at a concert where there's a performance where one performs for the other. It's an interactive um, relationship where we together come into the presence of God because in the presence of God, there is a fullness of joy. There's something that we can't explain. I can't write it down as a formula, but something happens when we come together and we, when we function and worship as a body. Amen? There's times when I'm song and it just really hits me and I drop down to my knees. It's, again, it's not about a certain thing you do, but as we are experiencing God in new ways, it's just it's powerful what God can do. Well, there's other ways that the body can come together for Jesus. As another example, you probably know that I put a lot of time, a lot of study, and a lot of effort into each of my weekly sermon messages. And I know that God is the one that continue, continually gives me wisdom to teach His Word in ways that other people can understand. But the measure of success for a sermon is not in how many people say, hey, that was a great sermon. 
It's not about the compliments that measure the success of a sermon, but rather in how it produces actual change in people to desire to become more like Jesus. That's how I know that the body is working together because we are all being humbled together. We are all coming under conviction together. We are seeking God together. And we are growing together. When people's appetite for God's Word becomes greater and more people are starting to come out to Bible studies and they're starting to ask questions, I, start, I begin to see God empowering us to grow together as a family. When people say after a message or a teaching, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I didn't want to hear it, but that's what I needed to hear. It's like God is speaking directly to me. That's how I know we're growing as a family. When people say, boy, the Holy Spirit really convicted me with your message and I want to change, I want to become more like Him. That's evidence that we're growing together as a body. When God moves on people's heart after a prayer service, they come up to me or after a service, and they come up and they ask for prayer, that's evidence that God is touching hearts all over the place. Or when people say, you know what? I want to be used by God. I want to know what my gifts are and what my callings are, and I want to be used by God to be His light in this community and around the world. That's evidence that what we're doing is we're leading people closer to God. Now, God gets all the credit. We just use us as vessels to do that. But that's evidence that we're working together as a body to lead people into the presence of God. Amen? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Understand that God is the one who sets us each in place. He knows what each body needs. He knows when there is a need for structure or when there is a need for more freedom. And he knows who to send to bring what is needed. It's like when God brought us here. We're not from this area. We don't have a congregational church background. We're Christians. But God brought us here for for what the body needed. And you are what we needed as well. I remember when we had our former uh, keyboard uh, piano player, Joanne, who took some time off and we needed uh, someone to play for our team. Um, And the thought was, do we put an ad in the paper? Do we do this? And we said, no, let's pray. Let's wait. Let's see who God brings. God brought us Scott and Ruth Miller. God brought us uh, Conrad. God brought us Ray. God brought us, you know, Alicia's been here and she stepped up onto that team. And so God brings what a body needs if we just wait on him. Because God knows what we need. We just have to be faithful and trust him. God knows if there's a need for creativity or organization. He knows if there's a need for direction or discernment. Or for a wider focus or a more disciplined view. He knows what each body needs. He knows our gifts even before we do. And he sets the members in place in a local church so that he can transform the church into a functioning body. Why? Because we are the body. He sends cheerful givers and gifted teachers. He sends true servants and hard workers. He sends people with interpersonal skills and people with a passion to be behind the scenes and intercede in prayer. He sends gatherers and nurturers. God composes each body as He sees fit, just like He equips the body with gifts of the Spirit as He sees fit or as He wills. If you have found that First Congregational Church is your home at this time, it's not simply because you decided this was the best place for you and your family to be. It's because God ordained your path to bring you here. 
so that He could compose the body with what you bring, with how you complement the rest of the body. God is intentional about bringing people into places where we complement each other in different seasons of our lives. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 19. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? A church or any organization for that matter cannot function with all type A personalities. Can anybody say amen to that? (laughs) They also cannot function with all laid back people or all behind the scenes servants or all individuals who are only there to receive or all all teachers and no students. God supernaturally composes the body. In a body, God uses the same approach as when he created man and woman. Let me remind you of this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. So Adam, this was after God created man, after he created Adam. Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So then we know that uh, using one of Adam's ribs, God made a woman and brought her to the man. The woman was created, why? To complement the man, to give what the man did not have. In his areas of deficit, she would fulfill that role in the relationship. And in the areas of weakness for the woman, the husband would be that strength. So together they were designed to complement one another. Verse 24 of Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, one body. You see, God talks about the concept of one body from the very beginning. Two people who are very different from different backgrounds come together to complement each other so that the two become one flesh or one body. It's the same premise that God builds on with his followers. We all have gifts. We all have divine purposes. We all have skill sets and unique perspectives and specific callings. And if we are all obedient to walk in our callings as we come together for the benefit of one another, then we allow God to perform one of His most powerful miracles. You know what that is? It's making all of us one. You know how hard it is to live with some people that maybe you live with? Now God said, I'm going to take all of you and bring you all there to make you one. How many know that's a miracle? Right? It is. Think, and, and, and we think of how God, how do we come together in unity? You know, if you know how an um, a, uh, uh, orchestra works, where you have the composer. If the flutes tried to match their tune to the trumpets, the trumpets tried to match their tune to the saxophone, the saxophone tried to match its tune to the keyboard, and the key, they, would, they would all be out of tune. So there's only one way to get them all together is the composer, the conductor plays one note and everyone comes to that one note. That's how God says. God says, I will be that unifying force. Focus on me. Praise me. Worship me. And as you do it, we'll all come together. That's how God can take people from all different walks of life, different perspectives and things, and bring us all together. To me, that's a miracle. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20. But now indeed... There are many members, but yet one body. You see, the body of Christ is not just an analogy. 
It's a supernatural act of bringing people together, many members to function as one body. And as our world devolves into greater division and greater disharmony all over the world, as you know, you really begin to see how needed a united body is in the world today. And you really begin to understand why God demands that we function as a body. It really is one of the greatest ways to witness the works of God. Do you remember when Jesus was praying in the garden before he was about to be arrested and beaten and crucified? Do you remember what was the emphasis of his prayer? Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus said that all of that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed that we all would be one, but notice why he prayed this prayer. It was for supernatural unity. It was so that the world would believe that God sent Jesus into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. There is great power in unity when we are united under God. You see, the problem with the world today is not that they refuse to strive for unity. It's just that they're using the wrong focal point for their unity. Anybody ever remember seeing the the movie Apollo 13? Tom Hanks? Great movie. Um, There was a scene where the astronauts had to had to get on the right path to go around the gravitational pull of the moon so they could jettison back to the earth, and they were off target. And all their systems, their instruments had gone out, and so they needed to uh, find a fixed point in space to navigate their vessel to the correct trajectory around the moon. And so looking out the window, they found that fixed point. It was the earth. It was fixed in, in, in space, and so they used the earth as their fixed point to get them around the path to come back to the earth. You see, the world has been trying unsuccessfully to navigate to a place of unity because they are using points that are not fixed, such as ideological ideas that change, such as social movements that change, such as political issues that change all the time, and many other aspects from man's imperfect wisdom. Yet all of these points move and cannot produce unity. There is only one fixed point that does not move. There is only one sure foundation. There is only one immovable rock on which we stand. There is only one strong tower to which we run and only one perfect presence into which we take refuge. The only perfect fixed point is Jesus. He did not flinch when he was arrested and beaten and falsely accused and crucified. He did not move when he was mocked and they dared him to come down the cross. If you really are God, the Son of God, come down off the cross. But he had to finish the task, right? He did not resist God's perfect will, which called for only one way to redeem his people who were stuck in their sins. Jesus had to die to pay the price for our sins. He had to pay the punishment that we deserve by dying in our place. It was only by His dedicated act that we all could be forgiven. All could be redeemed and brought back into God's presence where there's a fullness of joy. It was only by His perfect sacrifice that takes His righteousness that was due to His act of obedience 
and puts His righteousness upon us. So that now when God looks upon us, He doesn't see our sins because we are imperfect. He doesn't see our sins. But what He sees is Jesus' righteousness on us because we are a people who are redeemed. We are not perfect, but we are forgiven by Him. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and clothed in His righteousness. Jesus is the only fixed point that can produce supernatural unity. Think about it. What is the only way that heaven could be a perfect place? If all kinds of people got into heaven by all different methods and by believing in different gods and by sacrificing different things on earth, how could that be a place of perfection? People would be comparing, oh, how did you get here? Well, I gave all my money to the poor. Oh, you did? I kept all my money, but I read the Bible. You did? Well, I, I didn't do this, but I did that. Oh, I followed this belief. I followed that belief. That's how heaven would be if there was all these many, many ways uh, to get into heaven. Do you know that comparison is the precursor to pride? You ever been into a party and people start comparing and there's always the one-up guy? That no matter what you did, somebody did it better? That someone went to a better place or they had a better time? That, that, that's what happens when we compare. That it, it produces pride and pride produces division. And how could that be heaven in a perfect place? The only way that heaven can be perfect is if we all get there the same way as one body. What is that one way? John 14:6. Jesus says this, I am that way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to God the Father except through me. In other words, we have to understand that we all sin. We all mess up. Every one of us. We all are imperfect. And none of us is deserving of a time of perfection in eternity. Because we all mess up and we all sin. But because Jesus willingly died for us, all we are called to do is to trust Him. To acknowledge that we have sinned and to acknowledge that we need Him. To be forgiven by Him. To be restored and to be redeemed by trusting in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And by all of us imperfect people, trusting in the only One who is perfect, all of us enter heaven the same way through Jesus. Amen? Thus we become that one body. We become that one body about which He prayed. We are the body. Though there are many members, yet we are one body. But even though our ultimate goal is heaven, we still have work to do as a body down here on earth. And it can only be accomplished if we understand the significance of the body. So let me cover this final point. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Obviously, the eye cannot be the dominant and only force of the body. And likewise, you would think that the mouth can't be the only function of the body. Yet one of the reasons why the body of Christ has stunted its growth and has failed to fully walk in its mission to advance the gospel of Jesus around the world today, is that too often, as Christians, as the body, the mouth plays too big of a role and discounts the rest of the body. What I mean is that too many churches and too many Christians respond to people in need by merely saying, I'll pray for you. I'll send you my prayers. Now, there is power in prayer. Absolutely. 
And their prayer is the vehicle that God gives, up, gives us to lift up others in prayer. But what happens when you're praying for someone else and God says, I want you to be the answer to that prayer? There comes a point when just saying, I'm praying for you, is not good enough. Especially when you have the opportunity and the ability to do something about it. Proverbs 3:27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. This proverb kind of talks about this, this relationship in prayer with proper discernment. When we pray, we are not relinquishing our responsibility to act and just think we're dropping this need at God's footstep so we can go on with our day. We can just walk away and hope that God will send somebody else. If we are truly redeemed by God for His purposes, if we have sincerely been changed by denying ourselves and thinking of others more highly than we ought, then we must also ask God in prayer, how can you use me, God, to help answer this prayer request? If we fail to meet practical needs of people, and if we fail to be used, God, be used by God in practical ways when it's in the power of our hand to do something, then how dare we call ourselves Christians? If you walk by someone in the street and it's a safe and you feel discerning about it, if you walk by someone in the street who's poor and cold and starving and you say, I'll pray for you, that God will take care of your needs and you keep on walking, we compromise our walk with Christ especially if we can help. Now, I know we can't help everyone, and there's discernment on when to help someone. That person does not simply need your prayers as you walk by. Rather, if God makes a way through discernment, you give that man a blanket or a coat, or you buy that man a hot bowl of soup, and then you tell him, Jesus asked me to do this for you. I'm an ambassador of Jesus in this world. God loved me, and so I'm loving you. That's one of the greatest ways to evangelize is to meet a need and just say, God loves you. God loves me and the God's asked me to do this for you. Now, we can't help every single beggar or every single person in need, but we can do a lot more than what we have been doing. This is what gives value to the body of Christ. This is how we become that living and caring and loving body. This is what builds momentum in the world. This is how we become that light in the darkness. Isaiah 52, verse 7. I love this verse. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Did you see what it said, how beautiful are the feet? Would anybody look at your feet and say, I love my feet? <laughs> right? How, is, how can you love feet? It's because of, it's what the feet bring. When you get involved in people's lives and you go to them, it's, it's, wow, here comes my hope. I've been living in darkness and here comes the light. I see the feet coming near me. Too many times people in the world are like the lepers. We don't want to go near them. But gosh, someone steps into their life and steps into their bringing hope. How beautiful are those feet? We cannot continue to function as just the mouth who talks about Jesus and talks about our faith, and says, I'll pray for you while walking away. We have to be the feet of Jesus. 
we have to take his message of love and hope without judgment and caring and support to the world that needs Jesus. We have to be the arms of Jesus and love the unlovable and comfort those in need and give encouragement to the downtrodden. We have to be the shoulders of Jesus to bear one another's burdens and to offer a shoulder to cry on and a devoted heart of compassion. Remember Jesus, why did He help people? He said He was moved by compassion because they seemed to be like a sheep without a shepherd. He didn't judge them and say they're wrong and they believe different than we do and they're evil. He said they haven't yet heard. They haven't found their shepherd yet. He was moved by compassion. If we are the body of Christ, we've taken on His name, we need to be moved by compassion to do the same thing. We have to stop merely talking about Jesus and talking about faith. We have to be Jesus to the world. There are literally opportunities all around us if we would dare to step out in faith and expect God to use us to answer these prayers. Do you need a few ideas on how to do this? Let me tell you. Next time you're bored and you have nothing to do, go to a big store like Walmart or Home Depot. Pick something up small, pack of gum or light bulb, whatever. And then, here you go, choose to stand in the longest line. You know, you always want to look the shortest line. Choose to stand in the longest line. And while you're standing in line, in your mind, pray for everyone in that line, including the cashier. Then when you're done, go back out, get something small, stand in another long line. Seriously. There are people that will never get that, that, that prayer unless, unless God crossed your path, and so we, we, we force those paths. You don't got to say it out loud. You, got, you don't got to tell I'm praying for you. If you happen to strike up a conversation, you can, you can, God will open the door for you, but just pray for them. That's how we are the body. Or another thing I do is I always keep a few dollars and some, some coins in my pocket. When I go to the store and someone's short, I say, here, let me pay that for, that for you. No, 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 no. I'm going to pay it for you. God's, God, God's blessed me. I want to be a blessing to you. Just that is a great way to introduce Jesus. I'm not manipulating them. I'm just freely doing it. And a lot of times nobody says anything. But we can be the body to show that we care, that we don't just talk about Jesus, but we are Jesus. Another thing we've done is we go to a restaurant, and before you even go in there, you say, God, show me who I can bless today. And then go up and you might see, see someone and, and take care of their bill. Whether they know it or not, it's not about us getting credit for it, but to take care of their bill. It, it, it can truly bless someone, and especially you know, so many times when you know someone who's at the end of their rope and they're asking God for a sign, and what happens if God wants to use you as that sign? And it doesn't always have to be money, but there's so many ways that we can be Jesus and open the door of light into their lives. Or go cut someone else's grass, or rake someone else's leaves, or weed someone else's flower bed. Go bring Gatorade. I see people working around town all the time. I run to the store and I buy a pack of Gatorade or cold water and I go give them all cold Gatorade or cold water. It's just a great way. Why are you doing this? Jesus asked me to. Really? Who is that Jesus? Well, let me tell you. It's, it's, it's not hard. It's what it is. It's going out instead of looking for things that, that we need. It's, it's saying, God, use me today to spread your gospel. Ask God to reveal Ways to you where you can meet practical needs in multiple ways. And God will be faithful to reveal opportunity to you to make these known. Will you be obedient to respond and to be used by Him?
you will be amazed how your simple acts of love open the door to someone's heart who is looking for something that they haven't quite found yet. I'm look, I don't know what it is. I'm looking for something I haven't found. I hit all these dead ends. I don't know what it is. But gosh, something shined on me today. That's Jesus working through us as the body. You see, what they are looking for is Jesus. Therefore, we need to be Jesus to the world. We are the body. Let's live like it. Let's be intentional about who we are. We are called to be Jesus to the world.